and welcome to the Incomparable TV podcast, where we are getting into the third season of Voltron. We are sort of shrinking in numbers, just like the show, uh, where we started out with five or six people, and then we had five, and at the end of that episode, we lost Chip. Um, So um, we'll see if we get him back for season four. And in the meantime, uh, I am Shannon Sutterth, Hola Frikis, and with me I have, uh, I guess, not Chip, Tony Sindelar. Hello, nerds. And again, from Nerdist.com, we welcome back Kyle Anderson. Hello, happy to be here. Very happy to be here as well. So to get started, since this is the first time Tony's had the chance to talk Voltron with us, sort of... When did you start watching, and what's your overall impression? What did you think, and why did you want to come on the podcast? Sure. Uh, So I would say my memories of the original Voltron are pretty hazy, uh, because I was definitely a a young child. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a toy Red Lion um, when I was, you know, like six. I remember Mm -hmm. that. And uh, I probably could not have named any of the characters, but I was familiar with the idea that there were five lions, and they formed a bigger uh, robot that I would never be able to make, because I would never have all the toys. I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've done okay, considering, you know, this this hardship. Uh, But I was curious when it came around, because, you know, I definitely had kind of these hazy memories of Voltron, and I was very into... uh, anime and other animated shows later in life so i was excited when i heard that it was going to come as a uh, a netflix series uh especially because of the kind of connections in terms of the people that have worked on it to uh core and avatar which mm-hmm. I, I very much enjoy so in fact i think i had just finished a rewatch of Korra when the first season of voltron legendary defenders popped up so i watched that then about a year later season two came around and i worked my way through that i think i probably took my time a little bit on that so so I was definitely listening to your coverage of the episodes like after I, I caught up, but I was, you know, I was not devouring them the first weekend. They would come out the way others seemed to. But then the third season came out and, I, you know, I watched them all in pretty <laughs> close proximity. You know, three days. I stretched it out. Uh, there were only seven episodes, so that was right. a little bit, little bit easier to do that. But yeah, I, I think the... I, I'm not a, a huge, huge fan of Voltron, the original series, but it was definitely kind of a thing that I was aware of. But I've really enjoyed the uh, the new series in terms of, like, I think it does this kind of perfect, there are little bits of flavor from the old thing, but done in a modern way. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it really kind of builds on a lot of the storytelling that, styles that I, I really enjoy from, from Korra and Avatar. So for me, it's just the, the kind of the perfect series to watch. Uh, and I've enjoyed seeing where, it was, where it's going as they kind of do uh, newer and interesting things with with each season so yeah as they as they were promoting it they said better than you remember and yes (laughs) it is this is much better than even what you remember of the old show when you go back and look at some i did go earlier this week uh because i was like maybe i should i tried to watch an old episode (laughs) and i did not make it all the way through Uh, it was late at night. I may, I may try again when I am more fully awake. Um, but it, yeah, you know, I, it's didn't seem like it was going to hold a lot of appeal for me as an adult. Uh, but right. I, I remembered enjoying it as a kid, and but it was part of that block of things that perhaps were designed to push 
toys as much as they were to entertain mm-hmm. the gi joe era he-man ninja yes. turtles that kind of stuff uh which is not to say that they aren't great and part of my uh my childhood but they are in some ways sometimes more advertisement than they are storytelling and it's nice to see with the new series that i mean i assume there are toys i could buy but the, these there are, are toys i have some i have some of the toys <laughs> as do i there will always be toys yes um, you know <laughs> Yes, but, I have toys and I have art because, dear yes. God, I'm I'm deep into the fandom now. <laughs> it's like every season yeah. it just gets drawn in further. Kyle, um, yeah. season three, <laughs> what yeah. do you think? <laughs> well, it's an interesting one because obviously I think everybody made it. They made mm-hmm. seasons three and four thinking they were going to be one season. And then the, the decision sort of came that why don't we split up the the seasons or split up the episodes so that people have more episodes or you know the same amount of episodes but more often so people aren't just binging them which i actually really appreciate but that did mean that cuz i had i watched the first couple because i uh no humble bragging just straight up bragging i guess i i got to uh host the panel at comic-con which was really fun and cool and everything and they showed the first episode so i got to watch the first two beforehand and then i got to watch a couple press screenings Mm -hmm. or press screeners and stuff like that and so by the time uh the actual season officially dropped i only had the last episode to watch and so i watched (laughs) it the morning before work and i was like oh well now i'm done (laughs) i really did this wrong (laughs) so uh i mean it, it worked really well in getting me excited to keep watching uh, mm-hmm. in a couple months when the next batch of episodes drops. But yeah, it was kind of like, oh, that's, which is always a bummer to me. Like, you know, as much as I enjoy the perk in my job of getting to go see movies and stuff early, if if they show it to you too early, you feel like, oh, I'm not excited for it anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> there's still like a month before this movie comes out. I felt that way about the most recent Planet of the Apes movie. They showed it very early, which is usually a sign of confidence that, hey, we want we want to get the word out as quickly as possible about this and we really like it, which is good. And it was a good movie, but <laughs> it was like, oh, wait, did this movie not come out yet? Like, there's always that. So um, I didn't quite have that long of uh, to wait before I watched the last episode. But I, I overall really liked it. I, I think it does... Maybe because they had planned it to be a longer season, the middle or or toward the end, I guess, of this batch of episodes does start to drag a little bit. But I think that's a lot. It's it's mm-hmm. more set up. The, the opening two episodes, I think, really cook. And even the third episode, I think, really cooks. But th- there's a few in the middle that maybe aren't as uh, yeah. uh, as exciting as uh, as they could be. It's hard to know until we see season four. Exactly. But it it does feel right now like more like half of a season than a short season. And I guess I was a little, I mean, maybe I should have figured that out, but uh, without knowing kind of the behind the scenes, what's going on with their marketing and decisions about how to release and things like that, it didn't function as a season as well as to say the previous seasons did for me i guess yeah Yeah. i'm trying to withhold i'm trying to hold back judgment until october myself but i'm i'm with you guys at the moment it really feels truncated it feels like here's like two-thirds of the novel and you know you'll get the rest of the pages later yeah i'm gonna wait until october but then to see whether going forward this idea of fewer episodes but more often really works my gut says I think I would rather wait a little more and have the 13 episodes and have a bigger, more satisfying chunk of story, but we'll see. 
It's it's hard with the Netflix model. I mean, yeah. Uh, and to me, it's hard because I mean, one of the things I enjoy about uh, TV is watching things and then discussing them with other people. Right. And with Netflix stuff, it's really hard because it's either you've seen everything because somebody has watched all of it within the first twenty four hours that it comes right. out, or not. And it's you. I don't know. I miss that being able to talk about things an episode at a time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, clearly I am an old fashioned person because the the new model is that things get dumped out in huge chunks. Yeah, it, it, it is definitely hard because of that. And we're seeing that sort of in, with Game of Thrones this season because it's still the weekly model. And so you get these week long conversations about what you've just seen and what we're going to see next. And I enjoy that as a fan of TV. The conversation is so much more limited in a Netflix style. So I actually I appreciate the the idea of like, well, let's give them fewer and more often or, you know, more drops. Um, what if we so, were to say, to, to change it to, you know, one drop a week? <laughs> one, <you know>? yeah. <laughs> what if that's the way that they're going to go? They're like, well, you know, we really wow. want to draw this out and kind of help people. What if we gave it to you, like, once a week? And we're, everyone's like, revolutionary. Good. Well done, Netflix. Well, a, b- a bold new model. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, on the other hand, after watching this, it's like, it took me a while to get my blood pressure back down. And we'll get into spoilers in a minute. But a couple of the events in here, it was just like... I was stressed worrying about my boys. And yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like, you know, come on, October. <laughs> come on, hurry up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, uh, my goal, or my not my goal, because I have mm-hmm. no stake in anything, but my hope is that uh, this was an idea that they had after they'd already finished the season or, or at least so. mostly finished it. So, so going forward, if they're going to continue with this, they can shape the six or, six or seven episodes a little bit more to be uh, cohesive or a little have a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, hills and valleys Mm -hmm. as opposed to just like build up and kind of like not stagnant because it's you know it's still fun it's still a good show Mm -hmm. but um it's a lot of story building and character building uh and then no kind of payoff as much as i enjoyed that last episode the complete history of of voltron as a being but Mm -hmm. that it was a weird way to end the season yeah exactly yeah so i guess on that note let's you know say if for whatever weird reason you are listening to us talk about Voltron and you haven't watched season three yet, like just stop the podcast, go watch. It's only seven seasons. Like you're talking three hours max if you want to like just binge it back and forth. So go listen yeah. and come back because we're about to go into spoilers. Yeah. But yeah, I, I totally agree with what you said. It was nice to have the origin story of the original Paladins, Zarkon, Al, Al and so forth. But that obviously felt like a midpoint episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. obviously. So I, I'm i trying to remember. I don't know how schedules go as far as I know you have to do a lot more in advance with animation. I don't yeah. know if season five, I imagine, has already been like recorded with by the voice actors and they're animating it now. So I don't know. I don't know how well they'll be able to divide up season five, depending on how far they've gotten in the rest of that process. But we'll mm. see. Yeah, it's it's an interesting experiment. I, I definitely don't fault the idea of doing it this way, but it it did mean that the the first I'm going to say three episodes were really really uh, good. I thought, yeah, Strong changing opening. of the guard. I think is it, which is the the opening episode is such a fun and kind of uh, great way to reestablish where everyone is and the vacuum in in the Voltron crew of not having Shiro literally right. not being able to form Voltron, the center piece of the Voltron robot mm-hmm. and, and seeing how everybody kind of reacts to that. I thought that was such a, a great way to open it. And then also introduce this great new villain in Prince Lotor, who is a mm-hmm. completely different style of villain from Zarkon and, mm-hmm. and employs a lot of different kind of more devious tactics than just kind of march yeah. and conquer. 
Lotor yeah. scares me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Zarkon yeah, yeah. never scared me. Yes, he was a villain. Yes, he was powerful. But Lotor scares me. <laughs> and you know, they give us more with about Zarkon when we get to the kind of mm-hmm. flashbacky episode. But Zarkon feels a little bit two dimensional at times, whereas Lotor seems a lot more uh, yeah. interesting and uh, I guess menacing as a an individual as opposed to just kind of a force of evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just I kind of like the duality of this episode where it's like. Team Voltron is reorganizing and figuring out what what's going to go on. And basically, we also have kind of a similar thing happening in the Galra fleet where, and I even like that we have kind of uh, the scenes that are from the perspective of, I'm not sure what their rank is, but, you know, the people slightly further down the chain of command in mm-hmm. the Gower Empire, uh, grumbling about things at the, the Gladiator Tournament, right. and then uh, and then things take a turn there. So uh, I thought that was, it was an interesting way, especially uh, most of our scenes before about things happening on the Gower ship, they're not super interesting to me uh but it like i thought this was a neat way of showing the kind of different things that are happening there mm-hmm. they're not just a monolithic evil empire uh, mm-hmm. with with one head that is everyone follows yeah that's one thing that continues to impress me uh with voltron with the writing and the voice acting too but the way they are able to get so much story and so much depth into so little time yeah. You know, whether it's, as you said, being able in a quick snapshot, this is the state of the Galler Empire. And, you know, oh, looky here, we've got somebody new in the game on, on the side of the Voltron team. It's like in a couple of lines of dialogue to have something like, like Keith, you know, the, his devastation over Shiro not being there. It's like it, it is all conveyed in some very well-drawn lines of animation and just massively good voice acting with very economical dialogue. And mm-hmm. I love it. And I may be dropping these scenes into the wrong episode. This is the—is this the episode where uh, the blade of Malmora is also helping yes. them with? Uh, yeah. And the, and you have the thing where the uh, people of the planet really basically don't trust them, which exactly. is kind of mm-hmm. showing that, like, you know, again, you take this thing that was at one point a Saturday morning cartoon that pretty simple, and it's like, no, there's lots of complications, right? Mm-hmm. There's the evil empire has competing factions. You have people that are of the race of the evil empire, but rebels against them, uh, who are actually kind of therefore heroes, but because of what species they are, they're not going to be necessarily trusted by the people they're liberating. And it's it's like, no, things are very complicated. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you really get the sense that Lotor is a radical figure, not just the, mm-hmm. the way that he approaches things, but the fact that his core group of people that are, you know, sidekicks, for lack of a better word, they're all women, first of all, mm-hmm. which is completely, with the exception of Hagar, completely antithetical to what we've seen the Galra fleet at mm-hmm. all. There's hardly been any women. And they're all of mixed race. They're all Galra with some other alien species which makes them very valuable because they each have some sort of mm-hmm. you know skill and it's absolutely crucial to him to have these kind of people on his side who can turn invisible and who can you know have different skills and the the one woman who is a giant and a behemoth bruiser <laughs> type of character yes really cool really cool side characters or, or supporting characters who all reflect what Lotor is in terms of how he, he is a leader. It also, I mean, immediately to me, when I see that there's five of them, I see 
evil team Voltron. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is, you know, which is exciting because the first two seasons we've had Zarkon and he, we have this thing where he is the kind of fallen paladin, which is interesting. But now we have a team and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything about where the next season goes, but it seems to me at some point you've got a team of five villains. They're going to need to form some kind of evil Voltron or mm-hmm. s- some, something's going to happen there. Right. Oh yeah. 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 And I'm just, I'm still amazed at what the writing team and A.J. Lacasio, the voice actor, have done with Lotor. Mm-hmm. Because when they said at the end of uh, season two, and Hagar's like, you know, summon Prince Lotor. And, you know, all of us at the time were just like, okay, yeah, they're going there. Oh, God, what are they going to do? Because Lotor in the original Goliath was this really irredeemable villain, uh, rapist, murderer, you know, all the bad things. And when they did Voltron Defenders of the Universe, he was pretty much a buffoon ineffectual, never won, always chasing Allura. And what they have created here, like I said, that this Lotor terrifies me. And they have done such a good job creating such a captivating villain from the bones of what came before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like also that they've sort of, in making Lotor so interesting and deep and um, making his villainy more nuanced, it's also sort of their... They're shying away from the stuff that maybe was kind of silly about the original Voltron. You know, we haven't had all that many row beasts in a while, and I'm fine mm-hmm. with that because well, it's Hagar's way more interesting. pretty busy keeping Zarkon alive. Right. <laughs> She's got other yes. things to do. <laughs> yeah. One of the, the things that I've always loved about this version of the series is how much it focuses on the individual characters. And, and Voltron is just a, a culmination of needing the most help possible. And it was really yeah. cool in, the, in this first episode to see, you know, Lance and Hunk working together just in their mm-hmm. lines and doing a great job and then having the Blade of Marmora doing the on the ground type of stuff. And, and you can see how effective they are even without Voltron. But then you also find out, you know, from all of the liberated planets that it's like it's Voltron that they look yeah. look toward. It, right. it's, more, it's a symbol as much symbol. as it is yeah. a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. And even though I think they did it extremely well with, you know, character exploration and character development, I'm, I'm still kind of irked at musical lions. Um <laughs> Just personally, (laughs) just personally, because they'd made such a huge deal in the first season about creating the bond that the quintessence of the pilot mirrors the lion that that there's a there's a system that's supposed to be followed. And well, needs must because at the moment, we have no idea where Shiro is. So they've got to do something. And then they've got to try and figure out who's going to be in which lion. Now, that being said, that you know, I want them back in their original lions eventually, but still, I think they did a really powerful job with convincing Keith to actually try and fully bond with the black lion that he had piloted mm-hmm. once before, because, you know, he had to at the time, then blew locking Lance out because, you know, Lance, you've got to go take red. No, no, you're you're over there now, sweetie. And um, then, you know, Allura, of course, trying the red lion because it was, we find out that was her dad's lion. Right. The speculation in fandom was that Alfor was the Yellow Lions pilot because of, you know, the first season impressions where he was caring and he wanted to help everybody. No, no, he was an impulse problem. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. What do you guys think? I, th- I I sort of agree with that. I I think that like because of people's memory of the original show, it would have been cool to just keep Lance in the Blue Lion and give Allura the Red Lion would have been the most economical, I guess. Right. But there is all these people's, you know, the memory of everybody having those lions and, and Sven in the original show. <laughs> yeah, being, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, 
being, uh, uh, you know, gone or, or incapacitated and everybody kind of shifting around. Uh, I like the nod to that. And I will say one of my favorite just shots moments in that second episode is when uh, Allure, who's dejected at having been un- unable to pilot the Red Lion, mm-hmm. the Blue Lion's force field goes down just as it did in the very right. first episode with with Lance. I thought that was great. I was like, I'm on board with that. And I also really like about this show the learning curve, you get to see the learning curve. Right. We see in the in that next episode, or at the end of that episode, but then also in the that third episode, that not everybody's good at their lions yet. The, the three who have changed or have got a new lion. Have to learn it all over again. And, yes. and it's really, it's only Hunk and Pidge who are like, come on, you guys, like, it's not get it together. Hard. We're losing, we're yeah. losing ground here. Yeah. Yeah. I love that that mirrors character development as well. I mean, I know you said like economically would have been simplest to put Allure in the Red Lion, but the fact that we have Lance being shifted to the second in command, that mm-hmm. is not something I would have predicted back in season one. No. Back in season one, he irritated the hell out of me. <laughs> Yeah. Lance was my least favorite because he was just such a goofball and so overconfident in his own abilities. And, you know, yet, and he grew and we got to see more of him and things got better. And now, season three, I like him. <laughs> I really like what he's doing now. It's like, yeah. and, and the writers and the voice actor, everybody came together. Mm-hmm. So that the changing of the guard, as you said, you know, within the first three episodes, everybody shifts lions, everybody starts figuring things out. Um, mm-hmm. Alora figures out this is not a castle and this is a lion and learns <laughs> that she has to ask for help sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, which is another character moving forward thing that I loved. And then we go into an alternate reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the episode I just rewatched. <laughs> because when I, I, I think I had probably seen several episodes that day. And when I got to that, I definitely felt like I maybe it was dragging a little bit and not following the plot. So I went back to give it another shot today. And this episode kind of confuses me (laughs) because it really doesn't, and again, maybe this, with it being a half season, it will fit in uh, better, but it feels very much not part of this set of episodes. And it's weird when there's only seven for there to be this one in here that feels out of place. It it does. And, you know, there's been stuff before that that kind of reference the idea of different universes, I guess, in terms Mm -hmm. of things that Slav has talked about. Or Slav, sorry. And... Uh, I got that there was some kind of fan service with the alternate version of Shiro. Yeah. Yeah, I, I picked up on that because I was like, why are they doing that? And it's like, oh, obviously this is a reference to something. That's why this is so heavy handed. But yeah, this this episode felt very strange to me. So I'm, I'm curious if two people who are deeper Voltron scholars than me, if this episode <laughs> was a different experience. Uh, it, w- it was definitely one of those where I was like, oh. They they did it. They brought Sven into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> which which was just a you know I mean Sven is Shiro. They just yes. re voiced it and rewrote that stuff. So it felt like a, a like a fun nod. And that one was written by Tim Hedrick, who's the <laughs> the lead story writer on the show. So I, I got that one to being like, okay, this is kind of cool. But but overall the storyline of this episode, exact same thing as like a mirror episode of Star Trek. It felt yes. like who cares? And I kind of I'm okay with a mirror episode of Star Trek every couple seasons in a show sure. where seasons are twenty six episodes long. but it felt very weird for one of seven to be this mirror universe it also felt weird i didn't totally get why is he sven uh and not shiro it felt especially confusing and weird to me given that shiro's current whereabouts in this at this point in episode four we don't know where he is right Uh, and he's gonna pop up in episode five but that 
that also felt kind of weird. Um, yeah. I, Slav, I find amusing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I felt this, like you said, when this is part of season three and four 13 episodes long, it may not stand out so much. But as far as they needed a vehicle to introduce this comet thing, that there's like a second comet the, uh, similar to the first comet that was used to create Voltron. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that people can get into and out of different realities is not necessarily a good thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, as you said, it was a perfect opportunity to bring Sven in. I will grant that. If they had to do it, okay, I get it. You know, we get him, we see him, we meet him. Poor Josh Keaton, the voice actor, apparently was told at like 8 p.m. the night before of recording that, hey, guess what? You need to figure out a Scandinavian accent. Bless (laughs) his heart. (laughs) Bless his heart. Um, (laughs) And I was mostly okay, you know, with Sven's storyline. You know, that they, they meet him, they think it's Shiro. They figure out they're in an alternate universe, and they figure out that Shiro's part of the the equivalent of the Blades of Marmora in this universe. The guns of Gamora. Yes, so, yeah. exactly. Slav was a delight. I mean... Yeah, Slav's a great character. Yeah, and to see the more competent, focused, hyper one, you know, that this is the reality where everything works, yay. I think about the only thing that, like, just made me cringe was the space hospital crack. I'm just like, okay, that you could have left out. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that was too far. But yeah, we'll we'll just have to see what comes from there. If if alternate realities continue to be a thing um, now that this comet is out and about and in Lotor's yeah. hands. And yeah, I mean, I guess it was tricky because I feel like it did several things that were important. There's kind of a lot of information dumped in this episode, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we've we've got that Voltron is made of special important material that can allow it to pass back and forth between realities, which is otherwise not easily done. And they've got this comet, which they lose that Lotor is going to get at the end of the episode. And that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. There's the idea that there's another universe out there where the Altaeans are the evil empire. Right. And in fact, they're so evil, they would like to conquer other realities. I assume that you go back to that eventually because that feels like a big deal. Right. Yeah, I I guess it was the tricky thing that it was both there's an evil empire and our friend is over here. There was kind of a lot of characters introduced and like there's some scientists who are doing information dumps about the nature of the comet. And there's kind of there's a lot going on. Yeah. It's unclear what's important and what is just filling in the gaps, I guess. And I feel like I was completely thrown off by the fact that it was, it's not only a parallel dimension or it's not a parallel dimension. It's another dimension that is 10,000 years in the future because they keep talking about Empress Allura who died a million years ago or whatever. Is that because she was in cryo sleep or something that I I also didn't quite follow that. Maybe that's, yeah, maybe you're right. Is that what it is? I keep, I actually forgot that. I forgot that was because the the plot. Well, because that's the idea, right? Because yeah, the Galra and her father, fought and then she's been in cryo sleep for a long time mm-hmm. so in that time in that ten thousand years the gower empire has taken over much right. of the galaxy right? right right so in this other universe she never went into cryo sleep she's a martyr ten thousand years ago and yeah. her empire expands to take over the the world and except and they seem like they're good except they're evil because you know they're yes yeah. they're they're lobotomizing people yes. and I, well I, I did like as much as this episode was really um you know, overfilled. I did like that moment of realization that all of this evil has been done essentially in Allura's name and right. she's not okay with it. 
There's a lot of great Allura stuff actually in this in the seven episodes, which yeah. I yes, she's yeah. grown to. I mean, she, she was always a character I liked, but now that she's actually in the thick of it, and especially after the finale of last season, mm-hmm. she's one of my favorite characters. And so the more she gets to do, and the more she gets to kind of shoulder burdens like this, I think that's really great for the character. Yeah, yeah. and it flummoxes me that they did so much with her this season, and we haven't even gone back to the fact that she's apparently got magic powers too. That has not come up yet. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like you know, I, I was waiting for that i was waiting yeah. for that i was waiting for more blade of marmora and i figure this october that you know hopefully mm-hmm. those things will be answered so i don't know if i'm being unfair picking on this episode too much but for me this was the like i'm not sure how this fits into the whole and maybe maybe when i see the next however many are coming seven or eight mm-hmm. it'll all make sense to me but or season five i have a feeling that yeah. you know there's only six episodes coming in october so i have a gotcha. feeling some of this stuff is is seeding seasons five and six six and seven mm-hmm. however seven and eight however many we're going to wind up with now Mm -hmm. yeah and that leads us to the journey which is essentially a standalone shiro Mm -hmm. episode you find out what happened to him right it took me a a few minutes at the beginning to figure out like literally where he was like if he had been transferred to a different dimension or if he was back Mm -hmm. in time or any any number of things because he wakes up and he's he's in a galrush ship Right. And that yes. that we've seen that already. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we've seen him in that before. Yeah, my my question was when is this taking place, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is we're supposed to be a little uncertain of. Well, I I have a theory. I can throw it out there anytime we want, but okay. <laughs> go for it. He's a clone. It sure seemed like that we're supposed to think that, That's right? not Shiro. Because <laughs> there was a quick cut of, like, vats or, or tubes mm-hmm. with people in them, right? So, yeah. And then, yeah. of course, you know, he, he escapes and the commander of the whatever installation that they're in mm-hmm. says that uh, Operation, I forget what he says. Curon. Yes, Curon. Which so. is the Japanese word for clone. I'm sorry, they're, fl- oh. they're lampshading oh. it terribly. <laughs> they're not even yeah. trying oh. that. <laughs> Never mind. And, uh, and the other reason that. for me, though, is he goes through this long ordeal to finally get back to the group. And then I'm jumping ahead a bit to the next episode. But when, you know, he gets out of bed, cuts his hair back from where it had grown so long. And and that was one of the reasons you would be confused about when is this happening? Because hair doesn't grow that fast if this is only like a few weeks or a few months into the future of the show. But Mm -hmm. then he comes out with the hair's different, the clothes are different. You don't redesign a character without a reason. Mm -hmm. So, And that coupled with the fact that the Black Lion seems to not even recognize him. Right. That was another big, big one for me. Like something is literally up with Shiro. And Mm -hmm. uh, although I did like that they addressed that right away, that it was like, obviously Keith was like, well, yes, go back to your line. It's fine. Mm -hmm. I'll just sit this one out. And then he can't. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. like Shiro... It's Keith's not the extra limb. It's Shiro who is because uh, yeah. I think you're right. I didn't even think about the clone thing, but you're absolutely right. He's got to be a clone. Yeah. Yeah. Which suggests that he's probably some kind of sleeper agent. He's even right. winter soldier style. He's even he's got the arm for Which, it. Right. So, for yeah. me, <laughs> yeah. explains the next episode. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to jump ahead too much. And if you guys have more to say about this one. No, I enjoyed the journey. I thought it was fine, but it was mostly just like, well, let's get Shiro back mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, let's get back to the main characters. Because at this yeah. point, we've had Hole in the Sky, which is a, a digression episode, if you will. And then you have The Journey, which is an interesting episode, but it is a bottle episode. It's just mm-hmm. a Shiro yeah. episode. Not, and, and I'm like, I want to get back right. to the first three episodes, which was like, that's where I was most interested. And, and it's kind of annoying to me that we get the first three episodes and then one of the next four is actually about the ongoing plot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 
yeah. which is which is just the tailing economy. I enjoyed the kind of hapless rebels on the ice planet. <laughs> I did like those guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they amused me. You know, oh, yeah. I like the I like the ridiculous uh, side characters that scatter throughout the planet. I like the mm-hmm. episode where they, you know, in the previous season where they go to the space ball. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those those cheap tricks work on me. What can I say? So. <laughs> yeah, but as you were saying, the fact that when we get back and everybody's together and they're trying to sort out leadership again, as you said, Shiro's sort of the odd one out and his leadership style has changed and it's partly because of the situation but partly there are times when he's saying the right things but you don't believe him it's like he is undermining keith at every turn or contradicting him and not letting keith lead the way he should be one of the most telling things for me is the shiro and keith friendship uh relationship has been so rock solid from Episode one, they've obviously knew each other before the events of of the series. And, you know, we just keep seeing how tight knit they are, how they each look to the other, they trust the other. And yet, after Keith tells Shiro, Shiro says, how many times are you going to save me? And Keith says, as many times as it takes. That is the last time Keith smiles at him. It's like the mm. rest of the episode, Keith is miserable. He is like the body <laughs> language they draw. His arms are crossed. He may not know it consciously yet, but subconsciously he knows something's wrong. There's no other explanation for it for me. So Shiro is still somewhere out there, and I'm not sure where he is. I'm not sure when he is. I had a theory at one point that somebody's got to go back 10,000 years to Earth and leave all the cave paintings for Keith to find. Mm-hmm. I, who knows? Yeah. But yeah, it, it causes all these problems, uh, you know, even when Keith does the right thing and they've got two targets, Teledove Comet, Teledove Comet, they're arguing about which one to do. And then Shiro's just, look, just take the hit. And Keith, you know, shows those piloting skills that everyone talks about and he gets Voltron out of the way the first time. Teledove gets destroyed, one target gone. And even then, as Shiro's telling him how I'm, I'm proud of you, but you've got to make the hard decisions. And, and Keith's just sitting there and taking it. Ugh. Yeah. I have opinions. <laughs> yeah that was the tough one i did like because i was worried again because they just lost essentially they got the uh, the comet stolen from them and so i was worried that we were going to end with them losing again because i feel like that happens a lot where the first several episodes of the first season Mm -hmm. they would beat the little guy you know the little bad guy but then they would kind of lose the bigger war Mm -hmm. and then in season two it seemed like uh they were maybe winning more often and and everything and obviously blackout was like such a great triumphant Mm -hmm. moment with the exception of keith's loss or i mean uh uh, shiro's loss but i was worried that it was like i know i don't want to watch our our heroes lose again (laughs) that's just (laughs) so i was i was happy that eventually that keith outsmarted lotor and lotor was too confident so i always like stuff moments like that of balance Mm -hmm. yeah and seeing as essentially that is the last uh action bit of our main heroes in this season it was good that it was like on a more or less a plus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was, I thought, a good, if we were in the middle of a big season point, because this is kind of the first big confrontation between uh, Lotor's team and the mm-hmm. Paladins. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd seen the team basically tear through that first outpost that they attacked when it was just them versus resident soldiers. Mm-hmm. But we see that they're a tough fight, right? So that that was great to see. But yeah, this yeah. is kind of the, the last thing that happens before we have a kind of strange finale episode. Yeah. Yeah, the origin story. Yes. Right. I was just going to say that I did like seeing Lotor and his crew sort of on the back foot a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not they were kind of arguing and bickering amongst themselves. They they're not the clean machine that we saw earlier on. And especially after I forget which episode it is, maybe episode three, where they go to the planet that had been liberated and they're like, nah, you you're not liberated at all. But right. we want you to come back and like being so 
clinically efficient when it comes yeah. to like reestablishing control in a different way. And so it was kind of nice to, in this episode, in the penultimate episode of this chunk, to see them lose footing a little bit. It kind of shows that Lotor is not a perfect leader right. at all, which is what we can assume. This is a show where it's not Game of Thrones. Like good guys aren't going to just up and die <laughs> for no reason. So eventually, overall, good guys are going to win. So, but it was still nice to see that stuff. Mm-hmm. And we get our last episode. Basically, we go back ten thousand years and find out there's only been one other set of paladins ever, which, you know, took me personally a little getting used to. Um, My impression from the beginning of the show, season one, episode one, was that there had been several groups of paladins, that Voltron had been a thing for a long time, and Alphor was just like the latest. But no, we find out that he's an alchemist, and he he built it. Yeah, I guess I kind of, from the way... The princess had been talking to them. I kind of felt like there had been this lineage of paladins. Right. Uh, and it turns out they're, they're just the second set, at least in terms of what we're seeing so far. So, yeah, that mm-hmm. threw me a little bit in terms of, I guess, what I had filled in in my head about how this universe worked. But I enjoyed seeing this backstory and, the you know, the idea that kind of seeing Zarkon's downfall and that he and, and Alphor used to be uh, kind of allies. Um, they revisited the idea that uh, Hagar is actually an Altaian. Mm-hmm. Which I, I guess w- that was kind of the reveal in the, at the end of season two, am I remembering correctly? No, yeah, that was... That was yeah. new information for anybody who'd watched previous previous versions, yeah. Yes, because I, I, it never even occurred to me that she was not just uh, Galmora, because, you know, purple. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, and so we see that her, her past there. So, yeah, I mean, I think this was interesting. It just felt weird as the kind of the last episode to consume in a season. Yeah, it was sort of... I mean, I liked the fact that all of the paladins were different from different races and different cultures and different planets literally with different mm-hmm. um reasons to do this and you know different wants and everything mm-hmm. and i like the kind of you know knights of the old republic version of yes. <laughs> you know the societies and everything was a little bit more you know high fantasy as opposed to mm-hmm. the sort of sleekness and um, sci-fi-ness of a lot of the the current versions and it's kind of an interesting thing with the, the Galmora Empire that, like, they have lost their homeworld, and now they are this homeworldless yeah. evil space empire. Yeah. Because I don't... Had and, that been previously established? I, I'm not sure if I knew that before watching this episode. I don't think so. I think okay. it, it, yeah, it sort of felt different. like... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the Galra had been uh, dominant for such a long time, as yeah. far, you know, in the far reaches of space. It was sort of a big surprise at the end of the episode was was that the woman who would become Hagar and uh, Zarkon are addicted to quintessence and mm-hmm. it, it physically changed them to the point where Zarkon is not just, you know, Zarkon as we've seen him in the first two seasons is not just the emperor of your average race of Galra. Like he is, he's a, a completely changed. He even sounds different when he comes out the other side. Like mm-hmm. I, I like that whole thing where that physically you know, warped them as mm-hmm. creatures. And yeah, there wasn't a, there wasn't a ton of Hagar this season. And so this was a really great thing for me because I was kind of gobsmacked at the end of last season with finding, oh, oh my God, she's an Altaian. And I had the exact same reaction Allura had in that episode. Mm-hmm. And so to have this to be like... Especially because that means she's kind of like the third living Altaian, right? Because... Cause yeah. As far as we know, yeah. None, none others, right? None I guess maybe her current status is a little confusing because she has died and come back, but mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I need more information. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how the heck... Wh- when did Lotor appear on the scene? Yeah. Did, they've been going on 10,000 years. When... You know, when did Zarkon get around to having a kid or, you know, did Hagar just like decide to make a test tube baby? I, 
I don't know. Yeah. And have we seen, did we see Hagar and Lotor interact earlier this season? Do they A couple of times. Did we get anything in those that would suggest a relationship between them? It's not certain. It's, um, it's nothing is clear cut, but clearly Hagar tries to rein Lotor in. He's not behaving Mm -hmm. like Zarkon's son should be behaving in her opinion. Mm -hmm. That can be seen somewhat motherly, maybe, depending on how you want to interpret it. But it could just as easily be the person who's currently like having to, you know, sort of run the empire is trying to get, look, you're the titular head and you're not doing what I want you to do. So I'm Mm going to like have people track you and that sort of thing. At the end, he brings um, the commander that mm-hmm. that lost the base with the teledove he gets dragged back so hagar can interrogate him mm-hmm. so there's an uneasy alliance i would say between mm-hmm. them right now and beyond that we don't know and this also kind of fills in the idea that zarkon is therefore also ten thousand years old but has not spent a huge amount of time in, in cryo sleep the way the altaeans have and i think season two sort of established that apparently he needs quintessence on a regular basis that's like you know See. hagar and the druids do these rituals to rejuvenate him and keep him alive mm-hmm. so basically he's a zombie yes so. yeah okay yeah yeah we're not yeah. sure what hagar's doing to you know she's got some other system but yeah, I mean, it seems like your classic addicted to evil energy magic, right? Mm-hmm. What could go wrong? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but it, it did sort of, this episode changed the way I, you know, retroactively saw those couple scenes between her and Lotor, right. whereas mm-hmm. I thought initially that she was just, she just didn't like him, mistrusting of him. And then afterwards, it's like, well, no, maybe it is that sort of like, I want more for you than what you're doing. You know, you have been groomed or whatever mm-hmm. to be in Zarkon's image rather than to blaze your own trail kind of thing. So yeah, there is some sort of uh, maternal thing between them, whether she is physically his mother or if it's just like a spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I'm, I'm interested to see that relationship um, yeah. kind of grow or at least um, get more context for it later mm-hmm. on. Yeah. It also helps sort of explain uh, a lot of Lotor's motivations. I mean, heir to the throne is kind of meaningless if dad's never going to die. Yeah, (laughs) when your dad's a zombie emperor, it's, you know. (laughs) Okay, anything else as far as this season? Um, Have you guys seen, there's been a couple of trailers shown at cons that have popped up online for season four in October. Any thoughts, predictions, hopes? I have not seen those yet, so I'll have to seek them out. Yeah, I haven't either, actually. Um, Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm... (laughs) I'm hoping for, you know, they teased at Comic-Con a, a couple lighter episodes, so I'm actually looking forward to those because this was a very heavy half season, mm-hmm. and they said that Space Mall to the nth degree is is something that we might be getting, oh, not like a sequel to Space Mall, but just more <laughs> weirdness like that. Okay. So that'll be fun, but yeah, I'm kind of, I'm interested to see, it, it seems to me like Lotor is probably going to be building some sort of Voltron-like uh, entity or, or, mm-hmm. or yeah. robot. Yeah, seems like if, if you've got a comet of the stuff that Voltron is made yeah. of. Right. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe maybe the season ends on a cliffhanger where that evil Nega Voltron goes into a different dimension and our good Voltron has to follow it or something Ch- like that. Chase that would him be, across dimensions. Chase him, so. yeah, it'd be kind of like a... It does uh, seem, that, you know, the multi-dimensions thing. lets you do the thing where... Uh, classic Voltron, or even, dare I say, it, Vehicle Voltron can now be part <laughs> of other dimensions. Somewhere, somewhere in the other end of the house, Chip's ears just perked up. <laughs> I just, you know, I have that effect on him. I, 
but you know that's a, a tried and true uh staple of various reboots i mean i've enjoyed the recent ninja turtles that's at one point has the dimension hopping uh episode yep. where they they briefly uh visit the uh the mm-hmm. classic ninja turtles episode so they have established what they have they have opened it up alternate realities everybody's wishes are canon somewhere yeah. Yes. It's like they they just like sort of chopped all the discourse and all the ship wars and all the plot arguments, mm-hmm. cut them off at the knee. Somewhere, what you want is happening. <laughs> yeah, if we can, if you can have a Sven, you can have vehicle Voltron. Yes. So. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Li- live the dream. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what if evil Voltron is vehicle Voltron? What will Chip do? <laughs> oh no, I don't know. I don't know. That would break his heart. <laughs> Oh, basically, the only major hopes I have, and based on what the trailer I've seen, I'm trying to take into account that, you know, what I saw could just be like material from just like one or two episodes and not all six. But I really kind of hope we get movement on the Shiro thing. That's mm-hmm, that's yeah. something I want resolved sooner rather than later. That's just me because um, he's one of my favorite characters. Keith is my absolute favorite character. And until this gets settled, Keith is going to be miserable and <laughs> I don't want that. But yeah. So yeah, we've got to wait until October 13th, Friday the 13th. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping we get more with because uh, this was a very kind of light half season for Pidge and Pidge is a character I really like so Mm -hmm. I'd love to see her get more movement on her her looking for her family which you do get a little bit of but agreed yeah she she's looking she's getting more information that yes where are the other holts that's another yeah Mm -hmm. massive plot thread that needs to be picked up on sooner rather than later I think agreed yeah yeah Pidge is my favorite paladin and this definitely this whole season didn't really set aside a lot of time for her or I guess hunk but that's okay to me (laughs) (laughs) you know he's a little one note for me so well I mean he's had he's had his moments but they they've been kind of backgroundish and I think they're gonna get to Mm -hmm. him and I think they're gonna get back to Pidge I mean we had some significant Pidge stuff in the first season Mm -hmm. and then you know there are complaints in fandom about like you know they're not doing anything with Lance they're not doing anything with hunk and it's like there's well, a lot of characters. It's hard. You know? Right. Yeah, there's yeah, so many characters. But season three, we got a lot of movement for Lance. So, you know, Hunk's yeah. turn's coming. And, you know, we'll get back to Pidge. We'll, we will get back to everybody, I think. Yeah, I think so. This little, you know, this season was Keith predominantly. And also Lance kind of moving up in the, mm-hmm. the roster mm-hmm. order. And Allura kind of finding her place, not just as den mother, you know, for lack of a better term, but actually a member of the the team. And I think that was when you have three characters changing that drastically and also bringing Shiro or a version of Shiro back. It's certainly easy to kind of sideline some of the other characters. So I just, you know, as long as they are egalitarian, Mm -hmm. more or less, which it it seems Mm -hmm. like, oh, in the long run, they have been. So, yeah, uh, I'm holding out. Koran doesn't see it seems like he did not have as vocal a presence in these seven episodes uh which yeah is probably a That's big true. contributor to the kind of heavier or darker feeling because I, I i enjoy him so yeah 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 reese darby didn't get a whole lot of opportunity to to go off I, he's does yeah. such a great job i just every time he yeah. says something it, it makes me smile i love it so. yeah yeah they all do i'm i'm still in awe of all the different voice actors and and how well mm. they do to bring these characters to life yep they're all great so we are waiting anxiously for October and the second half of this storyline, so to speak. So this has been TV on the Incomparable. And thank you very much, Tony Sindelar, for joining us this time. It was fun. Thanks for uh, rotating the lions around to make space for me. Absolutely. And Kyle Anderson of Nerdist.com, as always, a pleasure to have you. Absolutely. And I, I can talk Voltron morning, noon, and night. So I'm happy, happy to do it any other time. Man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. 